You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 114, Arcade Auctions. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of You Don't Know Flat. Today's episode is going to be all about arcade auctions. Auctions where people actually go to buy and sell those big, giant arcade games uh, that you probably remember from the 70s or 80s, or if you've been to my house, you may remember them from last week. There's a possibility of this episode running long, so instead of, I'm going to skip most of the orders of business that I had written down. There's There's only one order of business that I really wanted to mention, and it's that both of my books, I had some questions about this, Um, both of my books are available as e-books. And they the price is now two ninety nine, so if you remember, I did have the books priced for ninety nine cents on Amazon store, and I had them priced at four ninety nine originally on my own website in PDF format. So I split the difference on those two. The main, the other reason why I came up with this uh, new price of two ninety nine for both is Amazon last year changed their payment structure and 299 is the minimum amount you have to charge if you want to get the full 70% of uh, the sales price. So if you want Commodore or Invading Spaces for your Amazon Kindle or if you want it if you have the uh, Kindle app for your iPhone or iPad or something like that, you could get those through the Amazon store or you can get it from my website. You can go to robohara.com there's a link to my books on the right-hand side, or you can go straight to robohara.com forward slash Commodore or forward slash Invading Spaces, all one word, and uh, you can purchase a DRM-free PDF copy of either book, and they're $2.99. You can put them on whatever you want, read them wherever you want, however you want. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get started talking about arcade auctions. Now, I have to tell you right up front, I feel I, I feel like I need to give a disclaimer on this month's episode. And that disclaimer is, I am currently, over the past six months, I have sold the vast majority of my arcade games. And I recently moved to a new house, and the new house does not have a, a dedicated building in the backyard. It really doesn't have space for uh, a building like the one I used to have. So, uh, without that amount of space and... You know, wanting to free up some space in the garage, I had to make that decision to sell most of my arcade games. So I don't want to—I didn't want to come come off sounding uh, disingenuous about uh, being excited about buying arcade games when I'm doing the opposite right now. So, um, but really, this isn't to try to to sell games to anybody or to talk anybody into buying games. This is really about my experiences uh, with arcade auctions. I've had a lot of people ask me about. Uh, you know, where I get my games, how much I pay for them, and so anyway, that's going to be the goal of this month's podcast is uh, to cover the ins and outs of arcade auctions. I want to talk about uh, what they're like, what to look for, uh, what you can expect when you go to one, and, and so on and so forth. So 
Now, the first arcade auction I attended was in the fall of 94. Um, in the spring of 94, I was living in a mobile home, and I had purchased my first arcade game. I actually bought it out of the classified section of the newspaper. It was Elevator Action, and I got it for $200. And, in fact, I had mentioned it uh, to my friend Jeff, and uh, he was so excited about it that he said he would split the cost with me. So we each kicked in $100, and I bought Elevator Action. Uh, we moved it into the dining room of uh, our mobile home. Needless to say, my wife wasn't thrilled about that setup, but uh, uh, she let it go, and, and so she said I could buy more games once once we bought a house and I had a little bit more space. So that fall, we did buy a house. It was a... Uh, terrible fixer-upper house. It was over a hundred years old, but it had a lot of space, and that's what I was looking for at the time, and that kind of gave me the first green light to uh, start buying arcade games. So, that fall, there was an arcade auction locally here in Oklahoma City, and my dad and I went to the auction, and I hadn't, I didn't really know if I was going to buy anything or not, because I didn't know how the auctions worked. But I went ahead and registered uh, to get a bidder number just in case something came up, you know. So, as this auction starts, they start moving through selling different arcade games. And I was amazed at how inexpensively the games were being sold. When you don't know anything about collecting arcade games, buying and selling games, uh, I mean, people have this uh, preconceived notion that games cost, you know thousands of dollars or something and there are games that cost thousands of dollars but not where i shop so we're at this auction and i'm watching games sell for a hundred dollars or less you know and i start getting really excited i didn't think owning you know multiple games like this like that you know i had the one game and i thought two hundred dollars was a fair price for an older game but i'm watching games that you know might need a little bit of work but that that work are fully functional games selling for $50, $60, $75, you know. So I start getting really excited. So I tell my dad I'm going to move down to the front of the uh, crowd of bidders, you know, and he's standing in the back. And the next game that comes up for sale is Map Mania. Now, Map Mania is one of my favorite old games. I loved Map Mania. Um, Map Mania is a cheesy WWF wrestling ripoff, you know, type game. Uh, and they had it at the convenience store that was by my house. So I spent a lot of time playing Map Mania. And Map Mania is also one of those games that it only has uh, uh, five or six different opponents. And then once you beat those, it just wraps around. Uh, it just presents you random uh, opponents. But kind of like Double Dragon and a few games like that, there are a couple of moves that if you learn them, you can basically play the game forever. You know, when you're a kid, you think that you're really good at it, but later on you find out that the game is just really easy. Um, but, yeah, Matt Mania is one that I spent a lot of time playing, so the auctioneer opens up the bid, and he says, you know, who'll give me $500 for this game, or whatever. And, and uh, yeah, my heart just sank. I was, I really wanted that game, but, you know, there's no way that I was going to pay $500. I didn't have $500. I probably didn't have $500 to my name. But nobody else bids on it either. So the auctioneer says, okay, okay, who, you know, we'll start it off at $300. And $300 is still out of my price range, but, you know, I thought, I was like, well, you know, I'm trying to think of ways to do it, but I still don't bid and nobody else bids. And, um, you know, he, he keeps working his way down. He can't get an opening bid. Nobody would even bid $100. So, uh, you know, he looks around and he says, okay, who'll give me $25 for this game? 
And I, I mean, it is killing me not to bid. And I have my bidder number right there in my pocket, so I just made eye contact with the guy and lifted my number up and kind of gave him a little silent nod, you know. I mean, I let him know. I was bidding $25. And the auctioneer says, $25 sold. Let's move on before the man changes his mind. And uh, so I, that's how I bought my first game at an auction. The crowd starts moving, and then my dad comes up behind me and says, Hey, somebody just got that game for $25. I said, I know, it was me. <laughs> I was really excited. And uh, uh, so I, the, the, at the first auction I was at, I bought Matt Mania for $25. And then I also bought Shinobi, which anybody that knows me knows I've had a long-running relationship with Shinobi. Shinobi uh, was one of my favorite games as a teen. It was a ninja-type game I was big into. Uh, ninjas and martial arts and things like that. So I always liked Shinobi. And, um, you know, neither one of those two games are what I would call uh, top-tier games, you know. I mean, they're not games that a lot of people want. So uh, that was one thing I learned later on is that, you know, things like Donkey Kong and, and Miss Pac-Man, stuff like that, those games are expensive because there are a lot of people that want them. So they're, they're popular. So uh, games that aren't as well-known usually don't sell for as much money. But... Uh, you know, it didn't matter to me at the time. I wasn't buying anything because of what they would be worth. I was just buying them because I like those games. So so I was just doing the math earlier, and um, over the past, I guess it's been 18 years now, I have been buying games from arcade auctions. And going over my list, it, it looks like I've bought close to 70 games in the past... Um, 18 years and now of course I'm down to just a handful of ones that I have left um, but but most of those games I'd say at least half of my games have come from auctions and the other half came from online sales uh, eBay and Craigslist um, but uh, you know that one of the things that I mentioned several times in the book invading spaces and, and by the way I I always feel um, cheesy plugging you know books that I've written and stuff like that, but everything I'm going to talk about today is in Invading Spaces. I mean, that's what that book is about. It's it's um, it's called Invading Spaces, and the subtitle is A Beginner's Guide to Collecting Arcade Games, and that's what it's about. It's all about buying and selling. I took all the things that I learned the hard way and put them in that book so that somebody else getting into the hobby could learn that stuff the easy way. Uh, trust me, the uh, $2.99 I charge for the PDF version or you know, the $15 for the, the regular, you know, paperback copy is a lot cheaper way to learn a lot of the lessons that I learned. Some of my lessons cost me hundreds and hundreds of dollars <laughs> to learn them in <laughs> several years. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely, if uh, you're wanting to get into the hobby and you want to know what I know about the hobby, that's the easiest way to do it. So, a lot of the things that are in this podcast are things that will be covered in that book as well, but, you know covering a topic once has never stopped me from talking about it a second time so there you go so when you talk about arcade auctions there are technically two different types i guess uh, the first one would be like when a business closed down um you know maybe it's an arcade or uh, a, like a family fun type center or someplace that has arcade games so uh those are more like a dedicated you're going to get a smaller section of games and um, the bad thing about those as well is they tend to attract a lot of attention and a lot of first-time buyers. And I'm going to talk about 
first-time buyers later on because they're a big problem. Uh, they're not a big problem. Uh, you know, I, I guess I can talk about it for just a second, but the, the problem with first-time buyers is they get really excited and they don't know what games are worth. So they're going to overpay on everything. They're going to bid you up on everything. So, um, you know, the less people that are at an auction, the better off you are. So the type of auction I'm mostly going to be talking about is uh, traveling auction companies. And they there are a couple in existence. Actually, one just closed down not too long ago. But these are companies that go to several different places around the country and uh, they run arcade auctions. So people bring games to sell there we're going to talk about all that and um then other people go there to buy them so you're bidding against potentially you're bidding against uh not only other like individual collectors but you can also be bidding against vendors who are running arcades and stuff like that so uh we're going to talk about all that so a typical arcade auction consists of basically four different phases. There's the setup, which takes place the day before and partially in the morning of. There's the preview, which in most auctions uh, is a couple of hour window before the auction begins. Then you have the auction itself, and then finally you have uh, paying for machines and removing the machines. So what I'm gonna do now is talk about each of those four basic phases of an arcade auction. Uh, the first is the setup. And if you're a buyer, this doesn't really affect you. But the setup takes place um, the day before the auction and then sometimes the morning of. So uh, once a date is set for an auction, people, usually local people uh, or companies, bring whatever games they're wanting to sell. And uh, usually these auctions take place on Saturday. So Friday is the setup and, um, you know... So everybody brings their games in on Friday, but most places will also take uh, games Saturday morning. So it's like if you got a last-minute game you want to bring in or something like that, you can bring it on Saturday morning. Um, now these people that are bringing in games, most of them, especially the bulk sellers, these are vendors. Uh, these are people that uh, have collections of games. Either they have a route uh, or they own an arcade, but these are, are basically people that use these machines to make money. Uh, you'll see a few collectors selling games, but this isn't really intended um, for collectors, and it's mostly for financial reasons, and, and uh, I'll be touching on that in a little bit here. Um, a lot of times you'll see vendors that are selling duplicate games. Uh, they may be selling games that are broken and not worth fixing or converting, or they may just be selling games that don't bring in quarters anymore, you know? I mean... Uh, like the Shinobi and the Matt Mania that I bought. Both of them needed minor repairs, but, uh, you know, Matt Mania, a wrestling game from the early 80s, is not, people are not lining up to play that. So once you have a game that's not making you money anymore, it's just taking up space. So um, that's a lot of what you'll see at these auctions. So once the games have been brought in and set up or whatever, and the auction time, uh, let's just say that the auction begins uh, on a Saturday at 10, 10 a.m., uh, a couple hours before the auction begins is going to be the public preview. So it would probably be from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, but it's usually about two hours, two hours long, you know. Um, if you're planning on buying games, you must go to the public preview. Even if you're not planning on buying games, you should go anyway. Because what the public preview is, 
is a time where any of the games that are going to be sold can be plugged in and turned on and tested. So even if you're not intending on buying a game, this is a good time to go check out games. You could go turn games on, uh, go play games, anything like that. But if you're buying games, this is the only time that you're going to have hands-on with these machines. When the auction is taking place, the auctioneer is going to be moving very quickly from machine to machine. They turn them on to show that they work, but that's it. You don't know if that machine starts smoking and shuts down every five minutes. You don't know if the joysticks work or the buttons work. You don't know if inside that machine there's a rat's nest or mouse poop, which is not uncommon, or a severed head, which would be less common. <laughs> um, you don't know what the shape of those machines are unless you go to the preview. Now, one thing that kind of stinks about the preview is that these auctions take place a lot of times like in warehouses or places where they don't have a lot of power receptacles or they could be dark they may not have a lot of lights so uh, you're allowed to bring in certain things i always take an extension cord i always take a power strip i always take a flashlight uh, that way if i'm trying you know i mean there may be a machine that's so far away from power that you can't power it up and, and test it you know and i would never buy a game that i couldn't at least look at you know so um uh, definitely take those things. I always take a power strip, you know, because if a, a wall outlet's already taken up, you can plug in a power strip. One other thing, I got this is as good a place to mention it as any. Anything you take to an arcade auction, if you don't put your name on it, it's going to be gone. I've had people try to take my power strips. I've had people try to take my extension cords. I've had people try to take my dolly. Um, so anything you take to an auction, make sure your name is on it. So as you're walking around looking at these games, you're going to think that each one looks very unique to you. You know, there may be a Mortal Kombat over here, Mortal Kombat over there. This is the one that the kick buttons don't work on. This is the one that has a monitor problem. When that auction begins and you're moving from machine to machine, it is very easy to forget which games had which problems. So I always take with me something to write on. Um, you know, you could use your phone, I guess, uh, if you're that guy. I don't know that I'm that guy. I don't know that I could do it as quickly. You know, what I do is I have a blank Excel sheet printed out that just has, you know, several different columns. One for the game name, one for the location. If there's, you know, if I wasn't able to, um, to test it or not test it, uh, you know, and, and just a little place where I can make notes, things like that, you know. Um, I actually went to an a auction, oh, it's been a couple of years ago, where there were 12 different Mortal Kombat machines. So, when you're looking at them, I mean, even during the preview time, they could start to run together. And then during the auction, if you get disoriented, you know, or you don't remember where this one was or, or where it was, it's very easy to, to get the machines mixed up. So, um, definitely take something to ride on. Something that I started doing a while back, and I don't always follow my own advice, but um, when I would look at a machine like that, I would also write down the maximum amount of money that I was willing to spend on a machine. Uh, if I looked at a, a Donkey Kong and it was kind of rough and I was willing to go to 300 or something, I would write that down because later on when you're bidding, it's very easy to get excited <laughs> and get into a bidding war with someone. So, uh, you know, those little notes would just kind of be a reminder for me saying, hey, you know, you know, earlier today you were willing to spend 300 and now you're at 800. So might be a good time to get out uh, but um, another thing that I, a rule that I, I think maybe has changed over the last few years 
is taking pictures at auctions. Now, there was a time where taking pictures was an absolute no-no. Uh, I actually watched a guy get escorted out of an auction for taking photographs. And that was mm, in the early 2000s, like 2002, 2003, something like that, you know. Um, so it wasn't that long ago, maybe 10 years. But now, just like everything else with cell phones and stuff, you know, I mean, I a friend of mine recently was posting pictures to their Facebook page that they were taking inside a casino. And I mean, there was a time where that would get you uh, a pair of concrete shoes <laughs> and a trip up. Off a short period, you know, but but now apparently a lot of these rules have become more lax. So uh, just know that if you are going to take pictures at an auction, you may want to ask first, or you may want to look around and see what other people are doing. That being, I mean, I've taken pictures at several auctions, but in the older older days, I would try to be a little bit more stealthy about it. Nowadays, um, it doesn't seem like people mind quite as much. So once the preview period's over, uh, the auction is going to begin. Most companies sort their games, uh, so you may have a row of classic games, you may have an area that's just pinball machines, um, slot machines tend to get their own area, um, there may be an area of machines that don't work, so if you're looking to build a MAME cabinet, and you might want to pay attention to see if they've done that, you know. A lot of auctions now set up a, a little area for MAME cabinets, and uh, those multi-cade, you know, 48-in-1s, 60-in-1s, for those type of things too so and the way it works is each machine is going to be numbered and the auctioneer will have his you know megaphone or you know his microphone or whatever and they will move from machine to machine now as they get to, you know they start because each one's numbered so they'll start with number one and there's somebody moving behind the machines that will plug the machine in and they will attempt to turn it on so they turn on the machine and, I mean, they'll wait five seconds and they say, you know, there you go, the machine works, let's start the bidding. So if you weren't at the preview, you don't know how well that machine works. All they're showing is that, you know, it powers up or doesn't. And this can actually work in your favor as well because sometimes, um, you know, I've seen auctions where they're trying to power up machines and maybe the power strip is not working. So they're trying to turn on machines and the machines won't turn on when earlier in the day you know that those games worked. So you have a little bit of insider knowledge, you know, from, from looking earlier. Um, so anyway, these machines are, you know, they're going to start selling them. And one thing, here's a nugget number whatever. <laughs> uh, this is, I talked about this in the book. I'm telling you here now. And this is one of those things that I've learned the hard way. I'm passing this on to you. Do not believe anything the auctioneer says about the game. That auction, the person, you know, that's auctioning the game, has most likely never looked at that specific machine before, ever. They are getting paid a percentage of the sales price of every one of those machines. So it is their job to sell the game for the highest price possible. Uh, I, here's a, a perfect example. I went to an auction one time and I was looking you know, just at some of the classics and there, there was a Frogger machine there. So I'm looking at this Frogger machine, and from the front, it looked pretty good, you know, the, uh, uh, I mean, everything's there, coin doors there, the monitor's there, marquee's there, the cabinet's in pretty good shape. So I go around, look at the back, and I open the back door, and the whole machine is empty. I mean, there is, no, other than dust, there's some dust in there, uh, maybe a few pennies, uh, but that's it. 
there's no board there's no power supply there's no i mean it that machine has been stripped for parts so later on in the auction auctioneer's moving from machine to machine he gets to this frogger machine and he says plug it in and i'm laughing to myself a little bit thinking you can plug that thing in all day you want nothing's going to happen they plug it in they try to turn on it doesn't do anything which doesn't surprise me and um, then the auctioneer says, well, folks, we don't know what happened to this machine. It was working earlier in the day. Uh, and then they just start bidding. And I was just floored. I, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way that machine was working anytime recently unless somebody removed all the parts, you know, or maybe black magic. Or I, I mean, there, there's only so many ways to get that machine. But that machine didn't work. But just to hear the auctioneer say that, you know, I really learned not to, to take what they say at face value. So, um, now as you know, the machines are going to go to the highest bidder. Once the machine is sold, it's turned off because it doesn't belong to the auctioneer or to the seller anymore. Now it belongs to the buyer. So those machines get turned off. So, uh, one thing that will get you in trouble at an auction is going and turning on a machine that's already been sold. Uh, so don't do that. <laughs> um, now as you're bidding, you will find that you're bidding against mm, three different types of people. Yeah. Uh, you're going to be bidding against other individual buyers like yourself. Now, I assume that uh, you know, you're a guy like me, that you're out there, you're wanting to buy an arcade game, you're just an individual. You know. So there are other people at auctions like that that are wanting to buy games. Um, there's also other vendors that will be there trying to buy games. Uh, you know, for their arcade, if they could get something cheap, a lot of these guys aren't looking at the machine like you and I might look at a machine. Like, you know, if I'm looking at a broken down Miss Pac-Man, I might say, oh, well, you know, it's going to cost me three or $400 to get that thing up and running, so it's not worth buying. But uh, to another vendor, they might say, hey, I already have the parts, and I have a dam one with a damaged cabinet. So, I, you know, he might just be looking for the cabinet. Or he might be looking to take the monitor and use it in another project or whatever. So they might bid on different things that you and I bid on, and they might be willing to bid higher or not as much, depending on uh, you know what it is that you're looking at. And then you also could be possibly bidding against the seller himself. Um, a lot of these auctions have uh, you've probably heard of like a reserve, like a reserve price. Well, instead of having an official reserve on these auctions, what they do is they let the seller bid and whatever they bid up would be the reserve. So, you know, if you're getting this bidding war with a guy, a lot of the stuff I didn't know until I started talking to the people that sell at auctions. And then I found out a lot of things that, uh, uh, you know, I didn't know were going on. But yeah, so, you know, the seller might be it may look like one person is just buying a ton of games and then it turns out that that person is the person that was actually selling them all and he's just buying them back. So so now let's talk about payment. And this would be the fourth uh, part, you know, after the auction ends. Now, a lot of auctions will actually allow you to pay before the auction ends if it's going to be a long auction. Um, now, these are the numbers from superauctions.com. Super auctions is the auction house that I'm most familiar with. I've been going to super auction auctions for probably the last uh, 10 to 12 years. And super auctions recently filed bankruptcy, I believe, but they're no longer, they've, they've had um, 
some other company take over uh, American Amusement Auctions has taken over all the Super Auctions. Uh, but Super Auctions is uh, the, one of those traveling auction houses that goes to different places. And they go to, to Dallas or Mesquite, Texas, which is right outside of Dallas, a few times a year. So, um, so I've been to several of their auctions. But anyway, from Super Auctions, this is the payment structure that is still listed on their website today. If you are selling games, you will pay $15.90 per piece um, plus 15.9% seller's fee, okay? If you are buying games, you will pay the price of the game plus 15.9%, that is the buyer's fee, plus you will pay sales tax. So I just came up with a, a quick little, you know, example here. Let's say you, a seller uh, brings a game to the auction and it sells for $100. So then the buyer, obviously, he has bought the game for $100. So the seller, out of that $100, gets $68.20 uh, because you had to take away the $15.90 plus you have to take away 15.9%. Uh, okay? And the buyer is going to pay $124.28. That's that same thing. You pay the $100, plus you pay the 15.9%, plus you pay sales tax. Super Auctions makes $47.70 off of that sale. And I'm, I'm sure that money goes to uh, employees and, and insurance and paying for the the thing, but it's amazing that a, a game that sells for $100, they make $47.70. Um, so you can see for small type games, I mean for $100 games, it's really, in my opinion, not worth taking those to an auction. Now, of course, you don't know, you never know how much a game is going to bring, but uh, people that buy and sell games pretty frequently know uh, that, it, you know. Now, a lot of times these arcade owners are bringing their crap and it's stuff that they don't care what it sells for and they just need to get rid of it. So I have bought, um, personally, I think I've bought two. I've probably seen five or six cabinets that were non-working go for anywhere from a dollar to five dollars. And it's just stuff that they want rid of, you know. I've bought a couple of games very inexpensively that just needed some, you know, the basic repairs, but it's just stuff that, you know, to them, it's not worth fixing up. It's not worth doing anything on. So, you know, they just haul all their stuff up, bring it to the auction. What it gets, it gets, and they move on. So, uh, anyway, after you've paid, you're allowed to remove your games. Uh, usually once they move on to the next row, you're allowed to remove any games that you've purchased from, from the first row. Uh, so if you buy, you know, a game off, like the classics are usually the first row at Super Auction. So if you bought a classic game and, and they move on, you don't have to wait for another, you know, six, seven, eight hours for the auction to end. You could just, you know, take your slip over, pay for your game and, and go ahead and move yours out. Sometimes there's, uh, employees there that will help you, but I always take my own dolly. And, uh, I think almost everyone that I've gone to, I've gone with a friend. So, you know, loading games up. Take somebody along, buy them lunch, buy them a beer or whatever, and, um, and they'll help you load stuff up. 
So I have some notes written down here. Um, I was going to talk about vendors versus collectors. Um, I, I kind of talked a little bit about that. Vendors being the people that, uh, you know, games take up real estate in their arcade or on their routes. And, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of rent, if you want to think of it that way, that those games have to earn. And if they're not earning their keep, they got to go. So um, sometimes they're just looking to get rid of games, you know, um, or maybe it's, it might be broken, like maybe have a, need a new monitor or something, and it's just not worth fixing. So uh, that's what you'll run into with vendors. Vendors are sometimes looking to buy newer games at an inexpensive price. Now, the collectors are the ones that will, you know, those are the individuals. And a lot of times they're just interested in one game. You know, there's a guy there and he just wants to buy one game. So he's going to spend a lot of money to get that one game. Now, I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, at that auction I went to that had all those Mortal Kombat machines, uh, and, and they weren't all the same. I and mean, there's Mortal Kombat 1s, 2s, 3s, Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3s, and, uh, 4s, you know, whatever. So there's all these different Mortal Kombat machines. Some of them are dedicated machines, some of them have been converted, you know. So there's all these different games to choose from. The very first one goes to auction, and it goes for $600. And these guys are just ridiculously bidding against each other, you know, running the price up. And I mean, I got out way, you know, before all this happened. So they're, they're bidding, 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 you know, and then finally, you know, guy number one gets his machine. So he's done. So then we move on, and then pretty soon there's Mortal Kombat machine, you know, number two. Well, of course, the first bidder's not bidding anymore because he already got his machine. So now more, you know, there's one less guy and people, you know, there's a couple other guys still bidding and, and this one goes for like, you know, three to $400. So then we get to the third machine and, you know, now it's just one, one guy left. He's the only guy that didn't get a machine left and me, you know, so I, I bid a little bit on this Mortal Kombat machine, but this is one that I went to the preview and I found out that none of the buttons or joysticks were working. Now, that's probably a loose ground wire, but, you know, you just never know. It could be something wrong with the board, you know. There's a lot of things it could be. And so this guy starts bidding up, so I just let him have it, you know. So he got that one. Now, those three guys have Mortal Kombat machines. There's 11 more for me to choose from. Uh, I ended up getting an Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, which is what I wanted, in a dedicated cabinet for 100 bucks. You know, so um, when you get into these bidding wars with collectors, especially with people that don't know what games are worth, you know, uh, you see it, I see it all the time with these guys that want um, uh, the golf games and the guys that want the hunting games, you know. I'm sure, you know, people want to practice their their golf game or whatever and they go and that's the only machine they want and they're willing to just bid crazy high prices and then on those you just gotta let them go you know you just have to know what you're willing to spend that's part of that that preview thing that i talked about you gotta know what stuff's worth you go there and then you write down you know i'll, I'll bid a hundred dollars or 150 or whatever and you know when people are just running the price up you gotta get out of those and it's very easy like i said it's very easy to get caught up in a bidding war because you're gonna uh, you know, teach this guy a lesson, you know, I used to joke, I taught this guy a lesson, I taught him, I didn't, I didn't know when to stop bidding, <laughs> that was the lesson, um, I taught him that I have no limit on my credit cards, I've taught a few people that lesson, um, so yeah, it's very easy to get carried away, um, and something that, 
you know, I don't really have this in my notes, but this is something that I've been running into a lot in the past year. I've run into it um, several times in dealing with people that are trying to buy stuff from me through Craigslist, and I've also seen it at auctions, is all these new reality shows that have been on TV, the Storage Wars, the Storage Hunters, the Auction House, um, Pawn Stars, you know, people watch these shows and they think by watching a reality show for 30 minutes on television that that makes them an expert negotiator and bidder, you know. So, I've had stuff where I list on Craigslist for, uh, you know, a couple hundred dollars and I'll say firm price because I know what it's worth and then have people come over and try to talk me down or, you know, start telling me that the, it's overpriced. Well, that's fine, you know, but uh, I don't know. You just, you know, I don't get the impression I'm getting. Well, I'm getting a lot more of those than I used to. Let's say that. And I think it's from, you know, these shows where they, they see these people, you know, driving a hard bargain and they're going to get the best dollar. But uh, yeah, and, and I'm starting to see those at the auction too. these people that, uh, you know, they some of these auction shows, I don't really don't want to get off on this tangent, but some of these auction shows, you know, they show stuff, they show a, I'm going to, I'm making my air quotes with my fingers here in the air. They show quote reality. That's not real. Um, they, you know, they show these guys buying the one thing in a storage unit and they take it to have it appraised and, you know, and it's worth thousands of dollars or something. And, and, um, you know, on Pawn Stars, they bought a uh, Miss Pat or a it wasn't even Miss Pac-Man. I think it was a Pac-Man cabinet, and I don't remember what they were talking about—six or eight hundred dollars, something like that. I'd love to sell any of my games for eight hundred dollars. I don't own—well, I've got one. One out of my th uh, thirty games that I owned was worth eight hundred dollars. You know, everything else, I'd do good to get half that. So, um, and I know that there was a Storage Wars episode where. Um, they're, they broke into a bidding war because a guy saw an original Nintendo. I have 10 Nintendo consoles sitting out in my garage that I would love to get $100 for, or 50 or 40 <laughs> or 20 on some of them, you know? So, you know, people, I think there's this new wave of people. It was just like the house flipping market five years ago. There are a few people that have done that. Uh, my friend Jeff did it and he found out it's not easy it's not like the tv shows you know it is hard work it is going to an eight hour a day job and then going and working eight hours a day on a house that you don't own and that you're not going to keep you know that you're just doing this uh i mean it is a lot of work and and so anyway like i said i i really don't want to go down that that whole thing but just know that that if you get in a bidding war with one of these people, get out of it. Because there's always going to be another machine. You know what? Nugget number two. <laughs> Write this one down. There's always another machine. There's all... I mean, I don't care what you're looking for, how long you've been looking for it, and you find that one. I mean, that vintage joust machine, that vintage, uh, you know, Robotron. Whatever it is you've been looking for, I guarantee when you pass on it, You'll find another one next month or at the next auction. Or, you know, the, the arcade community is really pretty small. Once you get online and you find um, the people in your area that are buying and selling games, all you got to do is tell people what you're looking for because I, they're, 
going to find that and they're going to mark it up. So they're going to make their money. You're going to get the game you want. I mean, it, so just know that. Don't, I mean, as heartbreaking as it can be to let one go, sometimes you got to let them go. So, anyway. Uh, you know, one thing, that when I started going to these auctions that I was doing and that I found out that was just a complete waste of time is I was recording sales prices. So, uh, Every game that sold, I would write down how much it sold for. Well, I didn't really understand how buybacks worked. And buybacks are, are listed, again, on the Super Auction site. And what a buyback is, is when a seller uh, buys back his own machine. So let's say a, a guy is selling uh, Donkey Kong, and he wants $500 for it. So he's the seller. Now, you, as a potential buyer, you don't know that, that uh, you're bidding against the seller. So the guy in the back, which is really the seller, bids $100. You bid $150. You really want this machine. That guy bids $200. Well, you're not really willing to go $250, so you go $225. Well, he bids $250. Well, this game's a little too rich for your blood, so you get out. So to everyone else at that auction, it would appear that Donkey Kong just sold for $250. And I would write down that information. But what really happened is that the seller just bought it back for himself for $250. So he doesn't actually pay that money. He gets to keep his game, and all he has to pay is that $15.90 um, sales fee you know, per machine. Which, you know, maybe he'll sell it later or sell it to somebody else or whatever. So I would write down that $250 sale price... And I thought I was doing the world a favor by tracking the sales numbers and all this. It was all crap. It was all, you know, bad data. And um, yeah, it was just a waste of my time. Like I said, I, I didn't realize how the whole buyback system worked, but now I do. And, and um, So I, I would be, if you see prices, uh, you know, listed online, like sales prices for auction, I would just be suspect that, you know, make sure that, I don't know how you could, actually, that it's good data because... Uh, if it's any auction that allows buybacks, it's just, um, you know, the data doesn't mean anything. But the one thing I will tell you is that I have also bought games at auctions, not at the auctions, but out in the parking lot. Um, I have bought games. I'll give you an example. I went to an auction one time, and uh, there was a Buster Brothers which is a game that uh, my buddy and I used to play when we were younger. And so I was kind of watching it. And when they went to fire it up, it wouldn't fire up. And the guy said the game worked, but they couldn't get it to get power, so they just moved on and they didn't sell it. So afterwards, I saw the guy, and um, uh, I said, Hey, were, were you still going to sell that? And he goes, You know what? I'd take 50 bucks for it. I gave the guy 50 bucks, uh, and I got the game. Took it out, put it on my trailer, strapped it down. Got that game back home to Oklahoma, opened up the bag, and found out that someone had pulled the power cord completely loose uh, from the little connectors on the power supply. I reconnected the power cord, the game fired right up. I mean, it worked perfectly. So, uh, I mean, I was taking a gamble at 50 bucks, you know, but 50 bucks, I figured, you know, even if the game, if there was something catastrophically wrong... <laughs> Uh, you know, there's definitely $50 worth of parts, either in the cabinet or the monitor or, you know, whatever did work, I figured I would be okay on. Um, 
I, I bought a Scramble cabinet one time. Scramble is a game that I really can't stand, and I've owned it twice. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not sure. You know, I, it's a. I love the the artwork on the side, and um, I'm running to two different Scramble cabinets that were in excellent condition that I got good deals on. Bottom. Uh, realized I hated the game and sold the first one and then I ran into the same thing at an auction where a guy was taking machines back outside that I hadn't sold. I asked him if there was anything he wanted to get rid of and uh, he showed me a section of games. He said 100 bucks for any of them and I bought the Scramble. Uh, took it home, plugged it in, remembered that I hated Scramble and ended up selling it. But point is that there are a lot of deals that are made after the auction and outside in the parking lot of the auction and I will tell you this. Normally, I mean, this is a normal saying where people say cash talks, but there are two things on an auction, cash and a trailer talks, <laughs> because if you've got that trailer, uh, you know, you've got space to haul games or whatever, that gives you the advantage to wheel and deal. It's not like you're, um, you know, saying, oh, well, I'll buy this from you, but next Tuesday, no, you got to have space to haul that off right now. So if you can take that game and you got the cash, you can make some pretty good deals after the auction, so... Um, another thing, after the auction or near the end of the auction, they'll sell all the stuff that um, you and I or the vendors would probably consider junk, but it may be stuff you're looking for. Um, they'll sell cabinets that don't work. Like I said, I've bought cabinets for five bucks uh, that didn't work, and I turned it into a main cabinet. They'll have boxes full of parts. If um, that's your deal, you know, you, you like um, digging through old boards that are untested or whatever, you can find some good deals there. Uh, They'll sell marquees. Um, you know, anything that goes with an arcade that somebody has brought, they'll try and sell. So those are all, um, you know, like I said, those typically go late into the night. So uh, you got to be willing to, to hang around. But if you do, you can find some pretty good deals. So that's basically it. I mean, that's um, how auctions work. Now, I did have, jot down a couple of machine names, machines that I've bought from auctions. And uh, just a couple of stories, you know, that went with those. The first was uh, that Shinobi that I told you about that I bought. When I got that Shinobi home, I found out that it didn't have any sound. And, uh, you know, I hadn't gone to the preview, so I didn't know that. You know, when they fired it up, I noticed there wasn't any sound, but I thought, well, maybe that's just the attract mode or anything or something, you know. But no, it didn't have any sound. So when I opened up the machine and looked at it, I found... Uh, a big area where the sound was supposed to be that was looked like it had been eaten away. And what I found out is that Shinobi is one of the Sega 16 cabinets that used a suicide battery. And what a suicide battery is, is basically a battery that controls uh, the encryption to a chip. Uh, Sega used it in the late 80s to keep people from pulling the chips off of their boards and making pirate copies of their boards. Um, which was a really good idea in the late 80s, but, you know, 20 years later, uh, almost 25 years later, those batteries have started to die, and the ones that haven't died are leaking battery acid, which is what happened to my Shinobi. So, uh, many of you, well, the people that know me know that uh, Shinobi is one of my favorite games, so I ended up buying a second Shinobi, which I've often referred to as my spare Shinobi. <laughs> So I had a Shinobi in my collection for a long time. I had a Shinobi and a spare Shinobi, uh, just in case. I was always worried about the original Shinobi dying. Um, the first one I bought was in a much nicer cabinet than the second one. So there was always a, 
a backup plan there that I was going to swap the guts of the two Shinobis and put the, the good board set of the one into the, you know, the other machine, but uh, that never happened. So instead I had two Shinobis, which was fine with me. Um, but yeah, you know, that's, uh, again, those learning things the hard way. If I had gone to the preview thing and tried that game out, I would have known it didn't have any sound. And, um, you know, if I had looked in the back of the board, especially with a flashlight, I would have seen all the battery uh, damage to the board. So Another game uh, that I bought pretty early on was a Championship Street Fighter 2. Uh, it wasn't the same auction, but it was on around that same time. But I, uh, as I was loading it up, a guy came up to me and he said, Hey, that was a game I was selling and the board in that is bad. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Because I saw it come on. He goes, yeah, you know, it only runs for a few minutes and then it shorts out. But I have a board for it for sale that I'd sell for another 25 bucks. So I think I got the cabinet for 35 and then I ended up buying this other board from him for 25 and swapped it out. And he was right. The original board was bad, you know, but it was just, again, that lesson I learned uh, about not going to the preview. So... I, uh, like I said, I, I can't recommend that part enough. Um, and then another machine I jotted down here was my X-Men. I bought an X-Men four-player cabinet, uh, again, from a local auction. And uh, uh, bought that. And one thing, if you don't know, when you move a cabinet, some people, and I'm in this, if, if at all possible, I'll move a cabinet standing up just because, you know, they're meant to, to stand up. And, you know, if, if there's stuff laying on the bottom or whatever, you don't have to secure everything. You just leave it standing up, throw a couple straps around it, and you're good, you know. Um, now, I do that when I have my trailer, which has a ramp on it. Um, but if I have just my regular truck bed, then I'll lay one down. But before you lay a game over, you should always open up the back and make sure that there's nothing inside there. Um, you know, there's a lot of games where the boards aren't mounted in. Somebody's just tossed a board, it's leaning in there, or, you know, uh, the coin door could come loose. If a coin door comes loose, especially one that's made out of metal, and bounces around while you're driving and breaks the neck off your monitor, that's a couple hundred dollars you're out. So you should always uh, look inside a cabinet, you know, if you're going to lay one down especially, look inside there before you move one. So... Uh, of course, I didn't do that. I had bought this X-Men. It was a four-player X-Men cabinet, and uh, it was a great condition. I ended up selling it to a friend of mine, Drew, but uh, uh, I had it for a long time. Everything worked well, um, and so I bought this cabinet, and I was in my truck. I didn't have my trailer, so I just decided to tip it over and push it over into the back of the bed. And when I did that, I heard this loud crash, uh, and I just knew that the monitor had fallen out or broken. I mean, I was heartbroken. I just got this game you know i've owned it for three minutes it was in great condition uh, and now here it is that i you know i've broken it so i i, I even considered just leaving it there you know <laughs> but um i'm glad i didn't i drove the machine home got it out of the truck stood it up i could hear stuff you know clanking around and i stood it up but i looked and the monitor looked okay and you know so i was kind of looking around trying to figure out what had broken well Nothing had broken, but that game was full of quarters. Um, I am trying to remember. You know, I wrote it down somewhere, but I want to say there were almost 200 quarters. So almost 50 bucks worth of change in that machine right there. And um, so that sound I'd heard when I tipped it over, it wasn't the monitor breaking. It was these quarters just flying out of the machine everywhere, you know. So 
Um, I, I had to spend like half an hour picking all the change out of that machine. And I have no idea how that thing got to an auction with all that money in it. You know, that as somebody that's moved so many games around now, I mean, I would have to think that somebody moving that would have heard that, you know, or whoever was selling it. I don't know, but that is by, I mean, um, that machine I found $50 worth of change in. The next most amount of money I found in a machine was 75 cents <laughs> in a Zaxxon machine. So it's not like, you know, I mean, most of the time people pull the money out of these things. So I don't know. There was a miscommunication somewhere there, but, um, um, you know, I don't don't really have any other major auction stories. The only thing I would share with you is that if you're looking for a place to go and get cheap arcade games, then arcade auctions are your place. When you're dealing with Craigslist or even eBay, you know, you're dealing with other people that want the game, you're dealing with sellers that want top dollar for their game. A lot of times at these arcade auctions, people are just looking to dump machines. I bought, um, maybe five years ago, a working Zaxxon game for 50 bucks. Um, I have bought, I mean, just dozens of games uh, for, you know, 100 bucks or less at auction. So if that's your price range now, like I said, a lot of those, you know, may need some fixing, a lot of cosmetic work and stuff like that. Um, but if that's, you know, your price range, and that's what you're looking to do is to buy cheaper games to fix up a little bit, uh, then arcade auctions are definitely the way to go. I would check, um, go to Google, and I'll add a link to the podcast uh, post on this, but check out American uh, American Amusement Auctions. You can go to their website, and you can find uh, the schedule for upcoming auctions. I know they travel around the country a little bit, um, but that's about it for arcade auctions. So I'm working, I have pretty much another podcast ready to record uh, and it's, this is kind of a riff off my book, Invading Spaces, but it's called Reclaiming Spaces. And uh, it's just some stories about what it's been like to, you know, after accumulating arcade games for the last um, uh, 15 or so years, what it's been like to get rid of them. <laughs> and uh, some have been easier than others. Some of them have been pretty hard to let go, and I still have a few out in the garage that I don't know that I'll ever be able to let go of, so... Uh, but anyway, that's it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We're getting back on track. I say that every time that I record one and every time I'm lying. So I could just be lying. Maybe we're not back on track. Maybe it'll be another six months, but I hope it won't be. Um, thank you for listening in. Uh, for the latest uh, news, updates, everything, you can go to robohara.com. Uh, that, that's uh, my blog, my website. Everything is there. If you're on Facebook... Uh, it's facebook.com forward slash Rob O'Hara, all one word. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash Commodore, just like the book. So um, also don't forget on uh, robohara.com we have the gas chamber, which is the forum. Uh, if you would like to go on there and, and talk with me and, and my friends about uh, you know things I'm working on, or there's several little areas there for to talk about entertainment stuff, computers, Security, video games, any of that kind of stuff, come check us out at thegaschamber.robohead.com. And uh, that's pretty much it for this episode. So, as always, 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 thank you for listening. I appreciate it. If you have any feedback about the show, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com uh, or any of you contact me at any of those places. If you have um, 
suggestions uh, for upcoming show topics. We have a thread going about that on the forum. So uh, just thanks again for listening. Any, and I'd love to hear any feedback that you have. And that's basically it for episode 114. So uh, check back soon. And hopefully episode 115 will be just around the corner. So thank you, thank you, and good night.